number one show on pop culture and politics. This is the Michael Medved Show. And another great day in this greatest nation on God's green earth. One great aspect of today is it is a day that uh, you have two fine movies released. Yeah, both of them courtroom dramas based on real-life stories of some significance when you look at the American legal system. And both of them uh, may get some Oscar attention. We'll be reviewing both Miranda's Victim and The Burial. Don't be put off by the title The Burial. It's an awful title for a movie with Jamie Foxx and Tommy Lee Jones that is not awful. It's, in fact, quite wonderful. Uh, we will get to that later on The Michael Medved Show. We'll also hear some of what Lloyd Austin, the Secretary of Defense, uh, had to say while visiting Israel on the eve of uh, the long-anticipated uh, move into Gaza itself, which the Israelis have been planning. But that uh, military maneuver, that military project, the destruction of Hamas, uh, that raises all kinds of legal issues about the uh, law of war. And nobody better to address them, and nobody yet has addressed it better than uh, David French, who is a, uh, a, a columnist for the New York Times, a best-selling author. He was also a judge advocate general with the United States Army Reserve. He was deployed to Iraq and served in Diyala province where he was awarded a bronze star for his service to our country. Uh, this draws upon some of his lessons in the legal uh, field that he learned during his Ar Iraq experience. Uh, David French, congratulations on your piece. It's posted on our website at michaelmedved.com. Uh, you write under the heading, What It Would Mean to Treat Hamas Like ISIS. And what you're saying is that this idea of uh, going into a highly populated civilian area, you say the law of war does not prevent Israel from destroying a terrorist army embedded in a civilian population. It can be done. It has been done. But as Israel embarks on perhaps its most difficult military operation since its war of independence, Public clarity about the law of war will be indispensable. What uh, is the most important item of advice you would give to our Israeli friends? Well, you know, it, it, that's, a, that's a great top-line question. I would say that there really is um, a model here, and they don't have to reinvent the wheel. So... One of the things that I do is I point back to the war against ISIS in Iraq. And the reason why I point back to that is for a very simple reason. It was largely an urban war. In other words, it was largely the kind of fight that Israel is going to be fighting in Gaza, especially in the city of Mosul, which at the time of the attack on Mosul by the combination of Iraqi security forces and U.S. forces – had about a million citizens in it. Now, there's almost two million or roughly two million citizens of Gaza. They're not all in the same city in Gaza, but there's about two million people between all of the, all of the cities and towns in Gaza. 
And so Mosul is your best sort of comparison. But we saw literally months and months and months of warfare in Iraq fought by Iraqi and American troops retaking the the northern part and the western part of the nation of Iraq from ISIS when ISIS did exactly what Hamas is doing, which is embedded in the civilian population. And so I I think that it's not like Israel does not have to reinvent the wheel here. But I also did not want the readers to be under any illusions at all that this is anything like an easy task or that it is possible to accomplish it without civilian loss of life. The uh, uh, principle of distinction is something that you write about, which is very, very relevant to what's happening here. What is the principle of distinction? Yeah, with the principle, this is one of the fundamental principles of the law of war. Another one is proportionality we can talk about, for example. But distinction requires combatants to distinguish themselves from the civilian population. So, for example, when you're in the military, you don't just wear a uniform for camouflage purposes. You wear a uniform because that distinguishes you from civilians. You you fly marked aircraft. You um, you drive vehicles that are clearly military vehicles. And so when a, when a terrorist entity like Hamas tries to blend in with the civilian population, it is violating the law of war. So when Hamas um, fights from a civilian location, say like a mosque or a hospital, or stores munitions in a mosque or a hospital, when it, when it fights from civilian uh, vehicles or fights from family homes, All of those things, while wearing civilian clothes, all of those things violate the laws of war. And so the reality is that if I'm responding to that, and if I'm in in good faith and due diligence seeking to engage Hamas, and because they are blended in with the civilian population, I inadvertently kill civilians as well, the legal responsibility for those deaths is on Hamas because they violated the principle of distinction. Now, that does not mean that Israel can conduct a free-fire exercise and then just blame all the resulting deaths on Hamas. They have to exercise due diligence. And in fact, the use of of civilian clothing and civilian objects often gives Hamas sort of a free first shot, uh, to use the quote from John Spencer, who runs the Urban Warfare Institute at West Point. Sometimes it means that when you're going into the city, you have to take a punch in the face before you can respond. And that's one of Israel's real challenges. Well, it's it's one of the reasons that they are um, they they have a very very large military force. It's actually the biggest army uh, will be the biggest. They've uh, they've now called up three hundred sixty thousand people, right. and uh, that's uh, that's a lot of uh, person power. Uh, you also talk about proportionality, and uh, I had missed – before reading your outstanding piece, I had misunderstood this. So yeah. make it clear, what, what does proportionality mean? It doesn't mean that you have to whittle down the force that you have to make sure it's the same size as the force opposing or, you. Right. Right. So a lot of people get this misunderstood. They will see that Israel has inflicted a lot more casualties, say, and they'll say that's a disproportionate response. Or they'll see that Israel has responded with rockets or bombs in the face of rifle fire, and they say, well, that's a disproportionate response. 
But that's not what proportionality means. It does not mean that if you're attacked with a rifle, you have to respond with a rifle. It does not mean that if you're attacked by 100 people, you, unless you're, in, you're suffering similar levels of casualties, you're violating the proportionality rule. That's not it at all. What it means is, in essence, you can't use more force than necessary to resolve the military threat. So, in other words, let's say I'm being fired upon by a, someone in a house and they're using an AK-47. I don't have to shoot at them with my M4. I can use a tank round. I can use a Hellfire missile from an Apache helicopter. As long as I, you know, I'm not aware that there are huge numbers of civilians also sheltering there. So it's not that I can't use extreme force. It's just that if somebody's firing me from at me from one house, I should target that house, not say the way the Russian army would the whole city block. Okay, we're speaking with David French, and one of the questions uh, that would be posed to you would be. Who makes these determinations about proportionality or uh, about the the principle of responsibility and accountability that you have here? And the fact is that that was part of your job in Iraq. We'll touch on that and then other problems around the world, including in the Congress of the United States with David French of the New York Times. Coming up on The Medved Show. David French, uh, writing in the New York Times. David French, a uh, great defender of religious liberties during his legal career, uh, where he litigated in federal courts from coast to coast, and while serving as a lecturer at Cornell Law School. Uh, David is uh, the author, most recently, of a significant article, uh, What It Would Mean to Treat Hamas Like ISIS, about some of the law of war provisions involving the principle of distinction or proportionality uh, that are facing the Israelis in the Middle East right now. We, um, we were talking before about who makes these distinctions. And one of the things that, that you write, which is true about the U.S. Army, is that you were there as a part yeah. of the Judge Advocate General Corps uh, you were stationed with troops who were facing combat and these kinds of decisions, and you also indicate that Israel also has lawyers who have been deployed to the front. Yeah, you know, a lot of people don't know this, but and especially during the war on terror, an awful lot of American combat arms units deployed with an embedded JAG officer. And our job, our primary job, this was my primary job in Iraq, was to help um, commanders make these decisions and distinctions. And so literally, you know, everything from pre-planned targets where you want to, um, you know, maybe take out this or that building because you could believe it's being used for military purposes or, you know, situations where troops are actually believe that they're, you know, seeing enemy activity and you're making, you're making decisions in real time. And what the lawyers do is they advise the commander, because the, the buck obviously does not stop with the lawyer, but it stops with the commander. But rarely would commanders disregard the advice of their lawyers. And a lot of people got frustrated with this during the war on terror because they're thinking, why, why do we want a lawyer in the loop? And to be honest, sometimes I was frustrated thinking, 
we don't need a lawyer in the loop, but there are other times when we absolutely did. And the Israeli army is also very consults with its own lawyers. Uh, I've spoken to Israeli JAG officers, to Israeli army lawyers, and they are, are involved very much the way in which American uh, army lawyers are as well, and Marine lawyers. And so this is a process that both militaries have real, really have a lot of practice with. And uh, look, that that's obviously an important distinction. You, we talked about the principle of distinction. But uh, right, right now, there's not much distinction being made on campuses around the world where in many places of some elite universities... Uh, there is this idea of moral equivalence, uh, like the the right response to um, a non-occupation, and there are no Jews or Jewish officials or Israeli officials or Israeli power at all inside Gaza. Well, at least there weren't up until a couple of hours ago. Uh, but the what what do you say to some of those folks who emphasize that, well, the Israelis started it. Uh, it was their mistreatment of Palestinians or the population of Gaza that has created all this violence. The right answer is? Well, the right answer is, look, regardless of your viewpoint on the underlying justice of Israeli treatment of Gazans, you cannot commit war crimes in response to that. Just period. Some things are, in fact, simple. A lot of things are very complicated, but some things are very simple. And there is no treatment that the, there is nothing that the Israelis have done that justifies killing babies intentionally. It just it doesn't justify it. And so the problem that you have is, yeah, we can have a debate over Israeli policy, policy towards the Palestinians. That is a debatable concept. It is a difficult, thorny issue. And I don't know of anybody who would defend I, – I don't know people who would defend everything that Israel has done. I mean, it's a nation of people. It's going to make mistakes. But there is nothing, nothing in the laws of war, in any coherent moral philosophical system, nothing that justifies what Hamas did. And so the act of celebrating that is celebrating – an atrocity. It's celebrating a war crime. And that's, I'm sorry, that's indefensible, even if you are quite angry at Israel for, for example, you know, some of its economic blockades of Gaza or the way in which it restricts entry and exit out of Gaza or its treatment of Palestinians in general. Nothing justifies what occurred. And so I think that that, that kind of Moral clarity is necessary, but it's often missing on college campuses. Uh, yeah, certainly, and, and certainly any knowledge of history is missing on college campuses. One of the things that I've been focusing on on the air is the fact that in 2005, Israel faced a wrenching decision, and there were huge demonstrations in the streets on both sides, it was the decision to leave Gaza behind and basically right. forcibly remove 8,000 Jewish settlers who had established flourishing communities in Gaza who all had to leave and getting rid of every single Israeli bureaucrat or business person 
or soldier or uh, uh, law enforcement, all gone. And right. the whole idea was to give the Palestinians a chance to do what they said they had always wanted to do, was to establish a self-governing uh, entity on their own real estate. And they had yeah. that in 2005, and then Hamas took over, and uh, they weren't interested in creating anything. They're interested in destruction. It's a different story. Uh, yeah. Go ahead. And, and here's, but here's the thing is you don't even have to get somebody, you know, look, what you just explained is a, a brief history of Gaza. And you don't, but here's the thing that's so important about this, all of this radicalism you see in college campuses and the BLM chapter in Chicago that put out a celebratory image after the attack. You don't even have to get someone to come along with you on the recent history and agree with you on the recent history to have the moral clarity to say you shouldn't kill families in front, you shouldn't kill children in front of parents, you shouldn't kill parents in front of children. So we don't even have to go that deep to really articulate the gravity of what occurred here. And one thing that concerns me when we have these conversations is, especially if you're talking to people who know something about the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, so much of it immediately goes to, well, here's my version of the history versus your version of the history. When the reality is you don't kill babies, you don't kill families, you don't do that. And the people who do that should be punished. And God willing, they will. Not for the sake of punishment itself, but for the sake of future security and prevention. Uh, David French, uh, thank you for your contribution as a materialist. Post on our website at michaelmedved.com. Uh, we will be right back with some stories of inf inspiration in the midst of all of this horror. Coming up on The Medved Show. This is going to be a little bit provocative. The Michael Medved Show. This is an urgent warning. America is heading... Michael Medved show uh, some journalists have been able to do some very good work in the midst of uh, all of the horrors and the tragedy and the danger around the world right now particularly regarding the Middle East conflict uh, CBS Nora O'Donnell went over to Israel and she told the story of a, a 24 year old college student who was killed by the Hamas militants at that music festival in southern Israel. And her family uh, told the story with CBS News and Nora O'Donnell. Listen. We wanted to end tonight with a story about a community coming together after tragedy. 24-year-old college student Bruna Villanau was killed by Hamas at that music festival on Saturday morning. Her mother and sister recently moved to Israel and they don't know many people here. So they took to social media asking for 10 people to come to the funeral. That's the number required for Jewish religious ceremonies. It's called a minion. But this is what they got. 10,000 Israelis responded to share in the family's grief. Strangers showing up for a family 
in need. Okay, it's pretty amazing when you think about it. And uh, God willing, they just arrived at Israel. They should have good times to celebrate. And also with 10,000 people showing up. There's also a story, it made the front page of the New York Times, and it's one of those very Israeli stories. There's a retired major general from the IDF, the Israeli Defense Forces, and he looks like a tough old guy, and he was a hero on the day of the attacks. He uh, spoke to NBC of what happened. His name is uh, General... Uh, Yisroel Ziv, uh, listen, this is clip eight. So we started to go apartment by apartment, house by house, and search for terrorists. There were bodies of terrorists in the kibbutz. The paratroopers killed another six terrorists. And when uh, I came to the area of my, my son's house, there were at least five bodies of terrorists and Israeli soldier, brave Israeli soldier, killed in this region. What gave you hope that your son and his family would still be alive? Amir told me, because I told him, you have to be quiet, you have to be locked, trust me, I will come. And he knew that I will come. This is my profession. Nobody, nobody, nobody can stop me. And uh, when I uh, came to their apartment, I knocked on the, on the window, the, the armor window of this security room, and I said, Amir, it's, it, it's father, it's me, Noam. You can open. <laughs> you can open. He was rushing back. He heard early that the attack had happened, and he had only... Um, one pistol uh, and face down uh, literally scores of terrorists who uh, and successfully rescued his son. Uh, meanwhile, speaking of rescue, the uh, Ben Sass, who is the new president of uh, University of Florida, sent out a special email this week addressed to Jewish Gator alums. They are the Florida Gators, of course. And President Sass, the president of University of Florida, wrote, I will not tiptoe around this simple fact. What Hamas did is evil, and there is no defense for terrorism. This shouldn't be hard. Sadly, too many people in elite academia have been so weakened by their moral confusion that when they see videos of raped women, hear of a beheaded baby, or learn of a grandmother murdered in her home, the first reaction of some is to provide context and try to blame the raped women, the beheaded baby, or the murdered grandmother. In other grotesque cases, they express simple support for the terrorists. This thinking isn't just wrong wrote Ben Sass. It's sickening. It's dehumanizing. It is beneath people called to educate our next generation of Americans. I am thankful to say I haven't seen examples of that here at University of Florida, either from our faculty or our student body. In the coming days, he wrote, 
it is possible that anti-Israel protests will come to U.S. campus. I have told our police chief and administration that this university always has two foundational commitments. We will protect our students and we will protect speech. This is always true. Our Constitution protects the rights of people to make abject idiots of themselves. When evil raises its head, as it has in recent days, it is up to men and women of conscience and courage to draw strength from truth and commit ourselves to the work of building something better, to the work of pursuing justice and pursuing peace. That is what we aim to do through education, compassion, and truth here at the University of Florida. Clear enough for you? A useful perspective? Seems to me a very important perspective. Uh, meanwhile, there is the uh, ongoing problem of the House of Representatives, and we heard from Nikki Haley before talking about some of the reaction to, uh, I, no, I don't think President Trump is going to be the next speaker, but for to President Trump. She uh, had now had some choice words for the House, and one can only hope that the leaders of the House will take her ideas to heart. Uh, this is Nikki Haley. Listen. I was governor, and we had a Republican House and a Republican Senate, and they would butt heads. I would bring them into my office, and I would say, we're not leaving until you figure this out. This doesn't need to play out for Americans to see. It needs to be play out behind closed doors. They don't need to leave until they fix this. They don't need to get paid until they fix this. What I will remind my fellow Republicans is, you don't fix Democrat chaos with Republican chaos. Get it together. Get us a leader. When a America is distracted, the world is less safe. We are seeing that play out. Get it together. It's not about you. It's about the American people. And the American people are done with this. They need to get in a room and not leave until they figure this out. Okay, look, does that sound presidential? Does that sound uh, clear and necessary? Uh, Kevin McCarthy spoke today. He may or may not be trying to make a comeback as speaker, but uh, he he talked about the same problem and the whole image of the House and the Republican Party. This is Kevin McCarthy today, clip one. Are you worried this disarray will cost you guys the majority? Uh, I think a lot of things have happened so far that that make a real damage for us moving forward. Um, I fear of different people retiring. I fear of uh, having the resources to be able to do the job. I fear that what, what has slowed us down on um, the amount of legislation we're already passing. Okay, uh, there's... <laughs> yes, there, there's a lot of room for improvement. The nice thing is that they're setting the bar very low. And people will be very, very surprised and grateful when things start to happen in the House and when they, God willing, avoid the uh, next looming government shutdown, which is coming up in November. Uh, coming up on our show, The Burial with Jamie Foxx and Tommy Lee Jones and Miranda's Victim. 
with uh, Abigail Breslin and Ryan Philippe, Donald Sutherland, and many more. We'll be right back on The Medved Show. Hey, Michael, great show, guy. I love it. The Michael Medved Show. Sabbath coming up uh, just a couple of hours from now uh, here for where I am. It's already Sabbath in Israel. The uh, one week ago when the whole world seemed to change because of events in the Middle East, may uh, I wish everyone uh, uh, within sound of my voice uh, a weekend, uh, however you celebrate it, of peace and reassurance and hope. And one of the things that gives me hope is when you all of a sudden have a movie coming from nowhere and uh, actually one with a very misleading title that ends up being one of the best of the year. Uh, Your fanfare, please. And uh, we're talking about a movie, and I almost hate to say the title because the title is so terrible. And the title makes you not want to see it. And the fact is, it's actually a terrific film. The title of the movie is The Burial because it's based on a magazine article about a, a true story about a business dispute involving the funeral home industry. Uh, Tommy Lee Jones plays a a exemplary kind of guy with 13 kids and a um, family business that he inherited where he runs eight different funeral homes in Mississippi. And he gets involved uh, with a very bitter business dispute with uh, the head of a much bigger funeral conglomerate uh, played by Bill Camp. And it all comes down to a courtroom drama where the Tommy Lee Jones character feels that because they're in a part of Mississippi that almost surely is going to have a majority black jury, uh, that he should get the best black lawyer he can find. So he actually goes to a uh, a real-life lawyer, Willie Gary, who is played by Jamie Foxx, who uh, juries find irresistible. And my chance, uh, my supposition is that people who are watching this film will have the same reaction. Listen. All y'all that don't know who I am, my name is Willie Gary. Willie Gary. Willie Gary. William Gary. Never heard of him. What's so special about this guy, anyway? Litigation is war. It's a battle. Truth is, I may have gotten myself into a lot of trouble. This fellow tried to bully me out of business, and I don't think I should be expected to stand for it. Mr. Gary hasn't lost a case in over 12 years. You suggesting I hire this guy as one of my lawyers? So, how much money y'all trying to get? Eight million. That ain't enough money. One hundred million dollars. <laughs> Who is this clown he's hired as a lawyer? We don't have a snowball's chance in hell of winning this case. Okay, uh, the Willie Gary is one of the most vivid screen characters you can find. And 
Honestly, I think that if anyone sees this movie, it's uh, available on Prime as uh, for streaming. Um, people who stream the movie will be introduced to the Willie Gary character, and if enough people see it, uh, the Jamie Foxx is going to get some Oscar consideration. He is just utterly riveting. The the legal details of the case and the back and the forth. Journey Smollett is also outstanding playing the opposition's lawyer and no spoilers here as to how the film uh, turns out it's basically uh, directed and co-written by a relative newcomer named Maggie Betts and it is uh, take some liberties with the characters involved but they're all so vivid and enormously appealing and the energy of the film carries you right along it would be hard to imagine uh, that uh, anyone would not be moved stirred and to some extent inspired the vision of the legal system here is actually reassuring and and appropriately it seems to me positive uh, I do not entirely agree with some of the legal theories advanced by the good guys in the film, but you root for them anyway. Uh, four stars. It is a rated R, but only because of some salty language, which lawyers outside of court are known to use. Uh, four stars for the burial. The um, and I wish they had a better title. Uh, next is another film which happens to be a courtroom drama and it's about one of the most famous cases that actually changed our understanding of the US Constitution it is called Miranda's victim and it's about a young woman in Arizona played brilliantly by Abigail Breslin who's very shy uh, a high school student who is accosted by a thug who drags her into his car, takes her out to the desert, and rapes her. And she wants justice, despite the fact that uh, her family thinks she would be better off not even raising the issue. But it turns out that the uh, guilty rapist, who is eventually found by the police, and you watch the entire case unfold, ends up uh, complaining about the fact that he didn't get any Miranda warnings. He wasn't warned about uh, the fact that he had the right to an attorney and uh, that he was under suspicion. Uh, this entire case became the Miranda verdict. And uh, the movie is called Miranda's Victim because it takes the other side. It's, uh, listen... Mr. Miranda, a girl was grabbed on 7th Street on Saturday night, right around the same time that you got out of work. I'm testifying. Promise I'm going to put this guy in jail for a long time. The jury has found you guilty as charged. Can you get me out of here? I believe I can. Aren't you going to ask me if I'm guilty? I'm far more interested in why you signed that confession. I know what you're trying to do. A man's as guilty as sin. The issue is whether this defendant's confession should have been allowed in evidence. It was coercion, plain and simple. There was not an attorney present. Don't make him the face of your crusade. What about Miranda's victim? I really don't care. Okay, but you will care deeply about Miranda's victim. 
Uh, Ryan Philippe plays one of uh, Miranda's lawyers. Uh, Andy Garcia is another one of his lawyers. Donald uh, Sutherland is there as the judge. And uh, altogether, it's an extremely well-acted, very intelligent script, and very true to the history of this case. Most people may know the basics about the idea that it expanded the rights of the accused, but what they don't follow and they don't tell you about is that after Miranda was set free by a Supreme Court decision, he was retried. And then what happens? Well, you have to see the movie to find out. Uh, Miranda's Victim, it is uh, available on various streaming services. It is not officially rated, but again, it would be very much rated R because the descriptions in the courtroom and on the record of uh, the rape were very graphic and uh, very brutal. Uh, the film is um, uh, the product of a veteran uh, director who, by the way, has been doing good work with films with smaller audiences. This film deserves a major audience. It's, again, available for streaming on various services. The director's name is Michelle Danner, and it is a film that is held back, unfortunately, by a very intrusive and annoying film score and with uh, all kinds of infusion of uh, music of the period uh, being the 1960s and 70s, which is highly distracting and takes away from the quality of the film. Miranda's Victim, Three Stars. Coming up next week on The Michael Medved Show... Uh, we're going to be talking with John Bolton, a former ambassador to the U.N., uh, former uh, national security advisor to President Trump. We're going to be talking uh, with him uh, about what America must do to make sure that we don't have a repeats or intensification of what happened in Israel last weekend. Uh, we're also going to be talking about is it appropriate at a moment of silence honoring the memory of the fallen with this uh, terrorist incident to yell out a passionate, well, curse on Hamas? Uh, we'll also talk about the need for America's reset in our Iran policy with Ilan Berman. And will Republicans care about 